1: If you're listening to this podcast, it's a safe bet that you want to be healthy. Unfortunately, wanting to be healthy doesn't always lead to being healthy. And being healthy takes a lot more than just wanting it. So in a country of abdominal crunches and time crunches, of shortcuts to better health and long roads toward chronic disease, of gym memberships and underutilized gym memberships, what does it take to achieve and maintain good health? In this episode of Move Forward Radio, physical therapist Jennifer Gamboa describes how her team of collaborative healthcare providers approaches sustainable health through five domains. Because when it comes to total health, diet and exercise are just part of the equation. Here's our interview with Jennifer Gamboa. So Jennifer, when it comes to health, America's kind of at odds with itself. On the one hand, whether you're talking about things you're exposed to on the media whether you're talking about walking down the street in any community, you see all these things that are health-associated, ads related to health, um, clinics related to health. Um, In in one respect, there's just so much health focus in this country. And yet, on the other hand, we see obesity rates rise. We know that there are all these invisible chronic illnesses that, that contribute to things like the opioid epidemic. And so we see all these signs of ways that we're failing in terms of our health. And so I just wanted to start broadly speaking with why do you think there's this gap between our awareness and our consciousness of health and um, the availability of resources and the reality of where health in this country actually is?
0: Yeah, I think that to me it's that there's just this disconnect between uh, this population-level perspective and certainly our government has embraced that, and, and health systems are starting to embrace that much more, and professions are starting to embrace that much more. And yet the, you still have to, at the end of the day, none of this is going to change unless individuals choose to change. And so the power for making a change actually rests in each individual in this country. And so the, there's not an alignment between that population health perspective and what's happening day to day on an individual basis. You think about an individual who who wants to change but or is in a health crisis and they have no idea where to begin. They're getting bombarded with information, all of the population health level information, but they don't know what, what's good information for them, what's the right information for them, or even to sort through where to start. It becomes overwhelming and and individuals really, you know, at the end of the day, they're exhausted or that particular aspect, their obesity, is not their top priority because there's something else that's driving. And so I think until we as a society and as a system and as providers learn to meet individuals where they are and understand what their barriers are and until we start to, to really treat people as systems and not one thing or another. They not, are not obese. They are not diabetic. They are not with coronary uh, vascular disease. They are people who have conditions because they, have, they live in, in, a, in an entire system of risk. Um, so maybe their disease risk is being driven by poor fitness. Maybe their poor fitness is being driven by the fact that they can't move without pain. Maybe they can't move without pain because they've, had, they've spent the last three years dealing with the uh, death of their spouse, the death of their mother, and their kids in jail. So they've got other priorities. And so what happens in our system right now is we're so splintered and focused on the most outward external manifestation of the health of the system, and we, none of us are thinking that total health and, this, and, and, and all of the aspects of what health is. And what, if we borrowed a page from behavior change science, what we would understand is that, you know, we if we learn to decrease the stress anywhere in somebody's system, if we help empower somebody to just manage anything in their lives better, we gain the opportunity to make more change. But we're, you know, we as healthcare providers in particular, we tend to go after, you know, that, that's a nail, and here's my hammer. That's a nail, and here's my hammer. And and really, it's it's not it's not that simple.
1: So let's use that as a jumping off point to to explore, for example, how you're addressing this in your clinic as a healthcare provider. Um, your fo you're trying to take a focus on sustained health. First of all, what does that mean to you? And and then how have you set up your clinic to try to address that?
0: Sure. Uh, so, we are an interprofessional clinic, and we've really grown into that. We used to be a physical therapy and wellness center, and, uh, you know, it's physical therapy first, and then other things as it occurred to us. And, um, you know, we started to do some case studies, uh, internal case studies, and and look at the patients who had um, accessed multiple disciplines and how their outcomes were and you know, what the benefits of having multiple disciplines under one roof was. And, and we were really shocked because um, we were very proud of ourselves for having this collaborative environment, and yet what we came to understand was that um, we actually weren't weren't helping people get any better, any faster. And here was the sticking point, was that we had all of these providers under one roof, but the provider, it, it depended on, on how somebody came in the door right if we had a physical therapy patient or somebody with low back pain come into the physical therapist and uh the physical therapist wasn't didn't recognize or wasn't comfortable with recommending counseling they might not get to the counselor until 6 months or a year down the line and it's not because they had fear avoidance but it may have been that there was you know sexual abuse in their in their background and as we started to to understand the complexities of patients and that providers were often um, unaware and uncomfortable about the synergies that could happen if, if we got the patients in the right place at the right time in front of the right provider and that those things could be overlapping and they didn't have to be sequential. That was the point that we really stepped back and said, how do we measure this? How do we look at somebody's total health? How do we understand the context within which each one of us is treating? And based on that, we developed a process, an intake process, that we call the Sustainable Health Index. And it looks at five domains of health. It takes a snapshot of five domains of health. As far as the patient is concerned, they're filling out their, their normal, uh, you know, patient registration. It's got, you know, it's a little bit left of, of that normal patient registration. We ask a few more questions. We gather a little bit more information, but not so much that um, the patient feels like, wow, this is out of left field. And based on that, we get a map of where they are in terms of disease risk, uh, fitness, movement quality, stress, and nutrition. And now we have a context. We have a context. The patient has a context. Everybody has a context um, around which we are then addressing their, their chief complaint. And if they walk in through the physical therapy door, maybe it's low back or it's knee pain. They walk in through the counseling door, they, you know, again, we're going to still have that same picture of what the, the patient's context is. And it allows us to open the door to, okay, I'm treating your back, but I see that your stress, uh, stress checkpoint or your stress domain is, is, is really high. And what we know is that if we don't address that part of it, then the, health of the then, then you're, you may still have low back pain. We, we may not be able to, to get the same kinds of outcomes unless we're looking at the health of the total system. So part of it is understanding context. Part of it is understanding and holding everybody accountable to the same dashboard so we're not having different conversations. We don't have variable conversations. It's all around the same data points. And then the final piece, which is so important, is handing the power back to the patient and saying that, you know, here's your information. How can I help? Not I must help or you need to do, but how can I help?
1: So you just outlined, essentially, how your clinic approaches things not just from a total body perspective, but really from a total human being perspective in terms of looking at people who walk through your door. And that's instructive in terms of what the intake process is for you. But I want to go through those five domains because, to me, from the individual side, the, the consumer side, whether ever, why, whether I ever come to your clinic or not, it seems to me these five domains are a way people could self-analyze where they are, and it's a good way for people to analyze their own health. Um, so help me go through these one by one. Let's start with uh, one of the domains is chronic disease risk. Um, so why is that a co- cornerstone that you look at, and, and how do you look at that?
0: So chronic disease risk really is its the basis by which, you know, that's the lens that everybody's looking through, right? You're at risk for diabetes. You're at risk for um, cancer. You're, you've got high blood pressure. You've got, you know, sort of that's the standard health history form. That's what I would label the chronic um, disease risk. Uh, and that's important because that really is the result, in my mind, uh, of the other four domains. So I may look at that. I may see that and understand how urgent the, the conditions are, but really, it is how the other four domains measure that impact disease risk. Um, so we're gonna collect that information. That's probably, the, those questions um, are most closely associated with pe- what people are familiar with in terms of a, a medical registration. You know, it's gonna ask about your health history, it's gonna ask about your family's health history, um, you know, how many hospitalizations have you had, What the number of um, prescription drugs you're on. Um, if we have access to biometric data, we'll plug that into this portion as well, or we'll collect the biometric data ourselves, the most real-time biometric data that we can. But that's, that's, that's what I would call the standard. That is the lens through which most of the world looks.
1: Yeah, so that that one seems like the most black and white one. It's what people expect when they go to any healthcare provider essentially, tell me my bottom line, tell me what's wrong with me, or or what I what may be wrong with me in the future. And then as we move to that next domain, it, it's funny, it's a little bit of gray area. As we talk about fitness, um certainly there's so much focus on fitness in general, but man, measuring that, uh, putting a number on that means a lot of different things for different people. So how do you gauge fitness in terms of the total total picture?
0: There are two phases to this. One is a questionnaire-based um, self-reported data, and then this, the, the second is um, actually a few short tests that, similar to the biometric data, you can do a few short tests to, to re-index that score. But that is actually, on the self-report, it actually has to do more with habit, right? So we're going to take into account your self-reported weight and then also take into account your confidence, your um, willingness to do exercise under certain sets of conditions. We'll query you on your um, the cost-benefit analysis that you go through in terms of exercise and whether it's worth your time or not. The fitness domain on the self-report side is really uh, more a measure of your habit and your uh, philosophy around um, fitness. The clinical measure piece; those pieces are actually the measurement of your relative fitness against benchmark standards.
1: Okay, and then one of the third domain, keeping along down the list, is about movement quality. So first of all, define what that is, and then how do you begin to to look at that?
0: So we define movement quality broadly in the self-report side of things of being able to move without pain, right, being able to function without pain. And so that we've got lots of tools in the physical therapy world that um, help us understand um, movement quality and pain with movement. So what goes into that domain is your history of pain in various regions, um, whether it's acute or it's impacted function because the greatest risk for your next injury, whether it's ankle, knee, low back, is history of previous injury. So that's an important metric that we take into account, and it, it sunsets at five years. But then we also could use standard tools. Um, so we, we actually folded in questionnaires that ask us about shoulder function, ask us about um, knee function, foot and ankle function, hip function. So those are all standardized, um, valid uh, tools that are just folded into the questionnaire so that we get a real metric on movement quality.
1: Sticking with movement quality, um, some of these other things, when I think about them from the the average um, person on the street, it's It may be the most gray in terms of uh when you know I potentially know if I have a chronic disease, I potentially at least have an opinion on if i 'm fit or not. The other two we 're going to talk about is nutrition, I may have an opinion on if I'm eating well or not. And then the last one, stress, I may have an opinion on if I'm stressed or not. But movement quality seems to me the thing that is that would be hardest for me to assess for myself. Do I have quality movement? Unless I know it's terrible for whatever reason. I I know I'm in extreme pain. I know I've got some sort of disability. Um, How do you communicate to people who come into the door to explain the link between quality of movement and essentially their overall health?
0: We actually keep it super simple. You should be able to move without pain. You should be able to move without pain and do what you want and then run, jump, and play, right? And so if you can't move without pain, you can't exercise. And if you can't exercise, you can't improve your fitness level. If you can't improve your fitness levels and you can't exercise, then you're going to have higher disease risk, right? And and how do we define movement quality? When we do the clinical side of it, we want to know, A, can you move through a normal range of motion? That's the first question. And then if you can, is there pain? or is there no pain, right? So if you can move through a full range of motion without pain, that's we'll call that normal. If you can move through a full range of motion, but it's painful, that's a flag. If you can't move through the full range of motion, um, but it's not painful, still a flag, and that's probably the easiest one to fix, because it just means you're stiff, but you're not painful. And then finally, maybe you're stiff and painful, that will send us down down a different course.
1: And so the thing I want to underline there, if I'm understanding it correctly, is is you're not uh, analyzing from a a perspective of, is this person athletic or not? You're analyzing it from a perspective of, is their movement hindering them in basically being able to engage in life?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And we use a standard regional um, exam. I mean, so the the Selective Functional Movement exam is what we use because it assesses every region of the body and the measurements is very standardized. The target for the movement is, is very clearly defined, and the definitions are also very clearly defined. And the, as I indicated earlier, there are four possible results. You, you move through the exam without pain and through full range of motion. You have full range of motion, but it's painful. You don't have full range of motion, and it's painful, or you don't have full range of motion, but it is not painful, and each one of those categories it, it helps us triage essentially what level of provider needs to come in and and care for this individual. Um, if you're stiff uh, but you don't have any pain, you know the client gets to choose. They can go to the massage therapist, they can go to the trainer, they can they can go to a stretch class. Look, we're, you're stiff. Let's just let's just motion as lotion. Let's get some movement in there. But if pain is the limiting factor, then we need to bring the physical therapist in to make sure that we can move safely. Movement is the avenue to fitness. It's the avenue to exercise. And so we need to make sure that we can get this person to be able to exercise safely. And it may be that then they're going to see the therapist and the, the trainer at the same time, but there are going to be parameters around what the trainer or can do or what that client can do in a group class setting.
1: So let's move into the fourth domain, which is nutrition and and again, this idea that sort of eating healthy is 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 related to health shouldn't be a surprise to anybody um, but essentially how how key is nutrition in in the full picture and and how how do you fit that into these five domains
0: right, so nutrition is incredibly important right if you don't have the right building blocks, then <laughs> you, you don't heal well, you don't manage inflammation well, and it's a huge contributor. To, um, to stress, and, it, again, it is a huge contributor to our chronic disease. But it's a tricky one to ask about, in particularly in registration, kind of in that first contact. And so what we ask about are gateway behaviors. There are lots of validated tools that um, will give you, you know, a much longer in-depth assessment of their nutritional status. But um, upon intake for us, we're asking about gateway behaviors. Um, how often do you drink soda, for example, or how often do you eat fast food? So that domain's measurement is combined with some of that social history, but also um, looking at their their weight, their BMI, their exercise status. All of that is informing the measurement of that nutritional status. And then clinically, we re-index that with our um, biometrics. So, you know, looking at the lipid panel, looking at the glucose loading, or the A1C loading, and looking at waist circumference and, and BMI.
1: So the fifth domain then is one you mentioned earlier, and that's in, in an example and that stress. Um, and I want to bring that up in the context of um, how stress potentially relates to some of those other things. You know, you talked about move, movement quality and moving without pain and, and things of that nature. You know, based on our understanding of uh, pain, for example, how much can stress contribute to what feels like a physical problem elsewhere?
0: Uh, I think stress plays a huge role. And, and here is how I describe it to, to patients and really to clinicians, how I have this conversation with clinicians who can get uncomfortable talking about stress. Like we've got two systems. We've got a fight or flight. We've got the, the parasympathetic uh, system. And if that fight or flight is turned on for prolonged periods of time, it releases cortisol into the system, and all hell breaks loose, because when you have a sustained fight-or-flight response, you have inflammatory mediators that get released into your bloodstream. You have um, even heart rate variability uh, gets very staccato, and we know that if that, that heart rate is so staccato, then your system can't is not as adaptable to the world around it, so there is, it, it, it's to me, it is, it is truly this physiological fight or flight response, and we need to, in order to adapt to any condition, we have to back off the threshold so that we have more flexibility to manage, adapt, and heal.
1: So I listen to that, and I think, okay. So, how stressed do I have to be for this to make an impact? In other words, I think when people hear that word stress, we get these, you know, kind of sometimes extreme stereotypical images of I don't know, you know, steam shooting out of our orifices or something like that. In terms of of how. Uh, frustrated or stressed that we are, can mild stress even just be a factor? I mean, I'm talking about everything from the little bit of stress that keeps you from falling asleep at night to the little bit of angst you have throughout your day. Is that enough to sort of have a larger physical impact?
0: No, I wouldn't think about it that way. I think stress is, is tricky, right? Too little stress can have as negative an impact as too much stress. Okay. So we, there is a normal stress response that's healthy, the key is the recovery piece, right? Resilience is in how you respond to stress. Not that life is stress free. That's unrealistic, and in, in fact, you know, uh, physiologically not not normal or, or good. Um, but it's how you respond to stress, right? So if your fight or flight is turned on and you never have that recovery cycle, then that's too much stress in the system, and you burn out. And the way we we see that when it's abnormal, I should say. We see it turned on and we see this, you know, hyper reactivity, this hypersensitivity to, uh, to, you know, anything. Or we see the other end, which is shut down, not responsive when they should be, right? So I would say there is a right amount of stress. It's highly variable. There's not a standard, a population standard. Um, an individual's cadence and in response to stress should be that they have a stress response that then fully recovers. They have a stress response and then it fully recovers. So there's a wave, there's kind of a sinusoidal waveform to stress and, and recovery. And it's that piece that when that breaks down and you either stay depressed or you stay at that heightened state that are problematic and impact our ability to recover, manage inflammation and, um, and just move forward in doing anything.
1: So we started this discussion by basically talking about how overwhelmed people are with information. And so now that we've gone through these these five different domains, and I'll repeat them one more time for listeners, chronic disease risk, fitness, movement quality, uh, nutrition, and stress, as, as we've gone through those things, I'm not going to ask you to take all of America and, and diagnose and shove all of America's health problem <laughs> into any one of those five domains, but I guess what I will ask you is this, from your experience with your patients, of those five, does there seem to be a five, one, of, one of those five that we need to have, that we're, where we're most lacking in general self-awareness, where it may benefit us most um, sort of as a society to either change the way we think about these things or be more proactive in, in being attentive to those things?
0: I would say that we need to be more proactive and attentive to the interaction of each of those domains. That the question that you ask is, and the way you asked it is actually symptomatic of right. why we can't change the trajectory of chronic disease in this country. It's because we think that it's a siloed issue, and it's not. And every map, and the way we present this data back to people is it's a map. You know, it's kind of this, it, it looks like a spider web, and, and their, their coordinates are drawn out on this spider web. So it's, very, it's a very intuitive visual look at like, oh, okay, I get it, and I am a, a system, and, and all of these things are interacting. And so I think that the first step is you've got to stop treating all of these things as individual, uh, you know, siloed, siloed conditions. They aren't. What does undue practice variability mean when everybody's mapped? could look really different, right? Well, the first thing it means is that let's measure the same things across the board and let's acknowledge that we are systems and not silos. (laughs) Of course, we're not a box of straws. We're more like a spider web than we are a box of straws, right? And so let's, let's look at that consistently and in the same way. And then being able to have that very candid, factual conversation of here's where you are and what we know is You get to decide what's most important to you and where you want to start. Because what we know is the moment we start to de-escalate the stress in this system anywhere, we will have the opportunity to de-escalate the stress in the system everywhere. So it's not my responsibility as a provider to fix what ails you. It's my responsibility as a provider to help you understand what this map, health map means to talk to you about what the options are and to help you set priorities. You know, at one point in the conversation, uh, I don't know if it was with you or one of your colleagues that you said to me, you know, it seems like people just, they have all this information, they just don't have the willpower to make the change. And I would argue that it's not willpower. It's that A, they're exhausted because they can't sort through all of the information that's getting thrown at them and they have a list of I'm supposed to's that's, you know, four arms long. And, B, they don't have the skills, the right skills, necessarily, to make the changes that we want them to make. We're so focused on them, you know, drinking water instead of soda. And we might not understand that the soda was related to, you know, some childhood trauma that actually is what needs to be dealt with. So we're saying stop drinking soda, stop, stop drinking soda, and this is a simplistic example. But, you know, in the meantime, what we really need to do, deal with is that childhood trauma. If we can deal with that, then maybe we stop using the soda as a crutch, and then all of a sudden the soda comes out, and so does the diabetes risk, and so does the—you know—there there there are so many variants of that. But I I believe that people need to be able to digest their total health in a way that makes sense to them, that reaches into their heart, that's not scolding or kind of authoritarian. I believe that when you give people a choice of where they want to start, they will choose what's most important to them and that gives us an opportunity to make more change. And I believe that ultimately people want to be healthy, they just don't know how to get there because there is so much information coming at them and they don't know what applies to them and what doesn't. And that's what providers can do. Providers can help sort through the bad information and provide people with good information.
1: Jennifer Gamboa, thank you so much for your time.
0: You are welcome. Thank you for listening to Move Forward Radio. Insight from our guest is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. Learn more about how a physical therapist can help you and find a physical therapist in your area at moveforwardpt.com. For an archive of past episodes, visit moveforwardpt.com radio.